Hey guys, before we dive into this week's episode, I've got a little offer for you. This year I launched my online studio, Mindful Moment, and I'd love for you to prioritize your own well-being and come and have a free trial. You'll get unlimited 24-hour access to my growing library of meditations, mindfulness techniques, breathwork, movement sessions, yoga classes, sound healing recordings, and more. Whether you've got two minutes or a full day, and whether you want to improve your sleep, feel calmer, or let go of damaging thought patterns, there are sessions there to support you. All from the comfort of your own home, on your own timetable. Go to lilysilverton.com forward slash mindful hyphen moment to start your free seven-day trial today. After he passed away, I mean, it's not a lightning bolt realisation. You just know it. You know that things are different now and you know that your understanding is different. And you also know that there is a contingent of people who haven't gone through your experience and nor should they have to because you're not supposed to go through that. You're not supposed to lose your husband in your 30s, but that you have an understanding of things and how things can just happen and that they can change. So the things that you prioritize, the things that you think are so important that can change in an instant. And so if you are sacrificing great amounts of energy towards these things, if you are prioritizing things that are actually not really making you very happy, there's sort of a reality to some of that. And I found I was able to see through that in order to ask myself, well, okay, what is actually important here like what are the things that you need in this point in time welcome to priorities the podcast about the things in life that really matter i'm your host journalist and coach lily silverton and each week along with a roster of incredible guests i'll be exploring how priorities inform and transform our lives sharing mindset tips strategies and inspiration to help you prioritize your own life we'll be covering what we think is important and unimportant what we'd like to work on more, and the moments that changed our priorities and lives forever. I hope you enjoy. My guest today is the award-winning journalist and author, Corner Bell. Having previously worked as UK executive editor and global lifestyle head for Huffington Post, Corner now freelances for The Times, The Eye Paper, Grazia, The Guardian, Red Magazine, and Stylist, among others. Specialising in women's issues, diversity, fitness, and mental health, She's also an experienced and in-demand public speaker and has published three non-fiction books. The first two on mental health following the death of her husband and the third and most recent, Stronger, around physical strength in women inspired by her own experiences as a competitive powerlifter. Welcome, Puna. Hi, thank you for having me. It's such an honour to have you on. I've been really enjoying your um, new book, Stronger, this week absolutely loving it um fantastic <laughs> you should thank be very proud of <laughs> thank you um I'm going through uh the the writer's neurosis at the moment just before a book comes out where you're <laughs> just hoping that it will be okay um and I forgot that writers are quite neurotic and so for the last few days, I was like, it's just me. And of course it isn't. It's just, you know, part of the process. Yeah, absolutely. I think with anything creative, once some, once you finish it as well, you have that, okay, it's done. I don't really want to look at it anymore. Yeah. And I think that because we're in a really unusual situation, um, just in terms of our social interaction 
because of the pandemic, unless you actually reach out to people um, and talk about what's going on with you, you just don't interact with people in the same way. So, uh, because I was thinking with my other two books, why do, you know, I was always slightly nervous in that you, that, that kind of excitement that comes with it, all the sort of nervous energy around it, but it's never really been like this. And I guess it's because you just are interacting with people less. So you're, you're slightly less connected if you, unless you actually seek that out. And I guess you've written it in even more of a vacuum than usual as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, writing is solitary anyway, but, uh, but yeah, this is, this is sort of like writing it in, you know, outer space. There's <laughs> just not much to connect you to what's actually going on. So we'll get onto the, more about the book a little bit later, but first I'm curious that it's about 9am now, quite an early start for us or early chat for us. What's your morning been like? Are you a routine kind of person? Um, I'm not super rigid, but there are probably a few things I would say I do out of habit. This is, this is an unusual morning for me because, um, I'm just, so I, I did a really heavy, uh, weight training session last night and in a, in a normal world, what I would just do would just be to allow my body to sleep as long as possible, like a bear kind of hibernating. Um, but I actually set an alarm. So I feel very wrong footed this morning because my body, um, you know, this sounds like, Oh, play the tiny, tiniest violin in the world story. But, but I think because, um, because I usually sleep well, when I don't sleep well, I, I notice the impact of it so much more. And so, um, what I've tried to do this morning is yeah, definitely make sure I've had, I'll always have breakfast. Um, if I have a bit more time, what I'll do is maybe about, um, 15 to 20 minutes, of yoga because I just find that moving my body <clears throat> really helps, especially now when I'm maybe not moving quite as much as I normally would do. Um, but I don't, I mean, what I try and do is um, not check my social media until I'm actually sat on my sofa with a cup of tea. That did not happen this morning though. It was like the first thing I did <laughs> when I woke up, you know, that thing where like one eye is open and you're just kind of like holding the phone above your face, <laughs> which is bad. I shouldn't do that. I know. Do you find that you, so I completely know what you mean. Um, I'm saying I try not to look at social media or emails actually until I'm mm. sort of starting my work day but I do have those days where I reach for it first thing. Do you feel like there's any like reason for those days when you reach for it first thing? I think, I mean, definitely today, I know the reason why I did was because I knew that I wasn't going to have enough time to have that moment of just sitting, you know, on my sofa before I start work. So if I would say I would usually, you know, I'd wake up or shower, go for, uh, do some yoga, do some stretching or whatever. And then um, I'll have a moment where I sit on on my sofa with a cup of tea and just, I won't check emails, but I'll check social media at that point. And then what I'll do is I'll start my work day at my desk and that will then uh, move over into emails. And, and I try to keep those things very separate. Otherwise I feel like I'm just reaching for my phone all the time. And I, I really got into a bad habit with that, um, you know, about a month or two ago. Um, and so that's something I'm very consciously aware 
of doing when I reach for my phone and check social media first thing in the morning, it's probably because I don't, I feel like I might not have the time to do that later, but that is an ongoing discipline. I have to say, because even, you know, there's, there's no point me checking it in bed. First thing I wake up like those, you know, it's not like I'm like the the president or the prime minister, like those messages (laughs) can, can wait. They're not going to be life or death. Yeah. I think the big one as well is looking at it before you go to sleep in that way of like checking an email, checking your emails or, or social media at sort of nine, 10 o'clock at night, where, as you say, the work that we do is not life-changing. So, um, or not sort of immediately, maybe hopefully it's life-changing actually, I'll take that back completely, but, um, doesn't require that necessity of reply or immediacy. Yeah. And I think, um, my nighttime routine is definitely a lot stricter than my, than my morning routine. And I, I wonder, I'm quite curious as to whether people have one or the other, you know, that they, they're just a lot more, um, focused on. And I think, uh, sort of going back to sleep being such an important thing for me, um, my nighttime routine is, is, um, I'm less willing to compromise on that. And so that will include things like turning my WhatsApp notifications off after nine or 10, um, you know, and just not scrolling. So once I'm in bed, uh, unless there's something that I need to check on in real time, I just am not really allowed to go on Instagram. Quite rightly. Hmm. Have you always slept well? Yeah, I I come from a family who likes their sleep and um and you know my dad I think has managed to despite being a doctor uh he's retired now but he's managed to squeeze in I think a daily nap since the age of 18 which is pretty impressive he's you know 73 74 now and um but yeah, sleep for me has always been something that I've been able to do. And, um, and I feel very grateful because I know a few, you know, fair few insomniacs. Um, and if something is disturbing my sleep, that for me is actually um, a really big warning sign that there's something going on, like whether that's, you know, uh, repressing the amount of stress that I'm experiencing or um, just not really just like overly compartmentalizing things and not actually processing them. And the sleep is definitely one area which it will show in. And, um, when it does that then, which it has done actually in the last week, um, I, I know that I then have to prioritize certain things around my mental health and my mental well being. So it's like a warning system for you. It is. Yeah. It's like a, wah, 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 like a <laughs> klaxon that's just gone off. <laughs> Okay, so I'd actually, with um, with you today, I'd love to talk, to start with the moment in your life when your priorities shifted an instant, because I feel like a lot of the other stuff will, will come out from there in the discussion. So if you're happy to share that. Yeah, um, it's like a lot of people, uh, you know, there are some significant life events that, that might happen where um, you you're just no longer the same person. You know, there's a, there's a line drawn between who you were before and who you were after. And for me, that was when my husband passed away in 2015, um, very unexpectedly. Um, and it was a very traumatic event for, for all of us. And 
he had struggled with a lot of um, mental health problems, and and one of the you know to, um, well he had he had um, clinical depression and he had a comorbidity of of addiction as well, and something that people said you know after he died was almost like were we better prepared for it because we thought it was something that could potentially happen and i just thought you you have no idea because you know you don't you don't surround yourself with the living preparing for the moment that they're going to die you just you just don't and when he passed away um my priority shifted in a sense it's not i don't think it's like how you see it depicted in hollywood you know where someone just sells all of their possessions and then they go off or they undertake dramatic life changes or whatever. Uh, Maybe that's just me because you just don't have the energy to do any of that. Like you're just literally trying to kind of get on with your day to day and, and exist. And I think that in the aftermath of, of my, of that and my priorities shifting was just this very, um, profound sense of understanding that the things that I slash we as a society think are important, that we expend a lot of energy towards. And an example of that would be um, keeping up appearances of how things are going in your home, in your relationships, with your work or whatever, to other people, because you're... um, you know, you feel that their opinion of you is so important that you need to live in an untruthful way or in a, in a way that just doesn't really reflect what's going on with you. And I, I mean, I'm talking about stuff that can range from your partner having a mental health problem, you having a mental health problem to, you know, going on, like going on holidays that you can't afford, but your other friends can. And so you feel that you've got to kind of keep up an appearance in in that sense. And and so after he passed away, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not a lightning bolt realization. It's, you just know it, you know, that things are different now and you know that your understanding is different. And you also know that there is a contingent of people who haven't gone through your experience and nor should they have to, you know, because it's a very, um, you're not supposed to go through that. You're not supposed to lose your husband in your thirties, but that you have an understanding of things and how things can just happen and that they can change. So the things that you prioritize, the things that you think are so important that can change in an instant. And so if you are sacrificing great amounts of energy towards these things, if you are prioritizing things that are actually not really making you very happy, there is a layer that um, there's sort of a reality to some of that. And you and I found I was able to see through that somewhat and to see through that in order to ask myself, well, okay, what is actually important here? Like, what are the things that you need in this point in time? So as if a lot of the external validation that we all seek and have been taught to seek was sort of stripped away. Yeah, I mean, I think what I just realized was that people will do things um, up to a certain point that they're comfortable. And I 
and also to a certain extent, my late husband, Rob, were people who would um, overcommit, would uh, would do things even though, you know, for other people, even though we weren't really capable or we didn't have the means to or whatever. And I think what I realized is that people make the right decisions for their families, for themselves all the time and, and can prioritize themselves in, in a way that's healthy and can do that properly. So if you are the person who is always overextending yourself, who's always kind of in this point of trying to, to, to keep up because you're you know terrified that people are going to find out what's really going on. Um, it's, it's not a sustainable way to be like working towards someone's external expectations of you is not gonna, that's not gonna sustain you. It's not gonna make for a happy life. And also very often you'll probably find that you're giving more of yourself than you actually really want to. Did you find that your other relationships changed with the people in your life after Rob's death? To an extent, yes, because um, when you're, I think, going through something like that, you have to communicate to people and you really don't want to communicate to people when you're feeling like that. So I think what I've understood, and this is something that I still sort of practice to this day to an extent, is while I hate conflict and I really try to avoid it as much as possible, um, if there is something that is going on, if there is something that is making you unhappy, if there is a pattern of behavior that you're getting into with a loved one, um, I personally have to at some point bring it up with them um, because otherwise they will keep doing that and not understanding why I'm pulling away or why I'm being distant. And so being able to communicate things to people and understanding that that communication doesn't have to be aggressive, like it doesn't have to be um, it doesn't even have to be overly emotional. It can be really neutral. You know, you can frame things in a neutral way. And I think working towards a place of how I say things neutrally and allow enough room for the other person to interpret what they need to within that, rather than me telling them what they need to do, that is an art form. And that is something that, honestly, if I manage to uh, perfect that by the time I... <laughs> by the time I shuffle off this mortal coil, that will be an achievement. That's definitely a life's work, I'd say. Mm. <laughs> you said one of your priorities is your family, which includes friends as well, who are who are like family for many of us. Yeah. Talk to me about them. Yeah, they are they are an incredible um network of people that I have. Uh I wouldn't say that, you know, like I'm a lot of people, um, you don't maintain the same friends that you have throughout your entire life. There are some people where your relationships just come to an end. Um and some of the people in my life have been with me throughout my entire lifetime. And but more importantly, I have also made new friends within that and, and seeing the differences in all of those different groups of people um, has been an incredible thing because they reflect different parts of who I am and what I need. And hopefully I give the, that back to them with friends and family. It's, it's an interesting one because when I worked um, 
like, so I'm freelance at the moment and have been for about three years and have no plans to work for anyone again. <laughs> um, but when I, previous to that, I worked in corporations for about eight years. And my last job was at um, HuffPost where I worked as executive editor. And working in a corporation, um, for anyone who does that will know, is that it's very all-consuming, you know, and um, requires a lot of you. And one of the things you would see over and over again, just generally from working around in the industry and so on, is um, how much that expectation was that work comes first and your family and friends come second. And I think in my last job, I was really lucky. Um, so I worked there when Ariana Huffington was still um, the head of the company there and she's no longer there. Um but she had this thing about prioritizing, you know, well-being. And she was talking about well-being way before, you know, we we had it in the in the consciousness that we have it now. And, and definitely, you know, comp- comparatively to other media publications. So I think thought she was like a little bit mad for talking about it. But that it was really it was a life changing thing to work in a newsroom, but to work for someone who had that kind of ethos. And that was drummed into me in terms of my friends and family come first within this. Like it's, yes, of course, there are times when you work on projects when, you know, work might take over for a little bit, but that has to be in the minority compared to my friends and family. And that is something that I'm definitely proud of having been able to do, which is that nothing, you know, you sort of see... Again, I don't know, I don't know insofar as how much this is real life and how much of this is depictions on TV, but you see that happening in, you know, um, in TV programs all the time where people just end up sacrificing time with their friends and family because they have to do a work commitment or whatever it is. And the, the I guess like a couple of things there, which is that over the years, places that I have worked for that have demanded that, I just I think that unconsciously I kind of just stopped working for those places because it's a, it's, it's a terrible thing to have to ask your employees to consistently put work above family and friends. Um, and I then, I, and I think that's how I kind of ended up at half post where I gravitated towards somewhere, which would understand that my friends, um, and my family, for sure, my family will always come above anything else. So, um, so, yeah, so I think that they give a lot to me and that um, it's something that I do willingly, but also I feel that it's important to prioritize them because without them, I just don't really have anything and most things are kind of meaningless. And it, I, I also talk about that in relation to work. You know, um, my work achievements, I'm really proud of, but if I don't have anyone to share them with and people who are genuinely happy for me, then what's the point of it? Yeah, absolutely. We'll see what comes out of the um, pandemic and in terms of how people react to returning to work and returning to, a, I mean, if they're lucky, I guess, a nine to five, often, especially in journalism, I know myself is much, <laughs> much more demanding than that. And whether there's going to be a shift. I know that from the work that I do in terms of working with corporations on well-being practices and, and redefining health, that there's a lot of people at the moment, excuse me, <clears throat> saying great things and it's whether they actually follow through with them in practice over the next couple of years as things move forward, as things go back to 
normal, whatever that means, or a new normal. Yeah, I, I also think that people's um, priorities will shift, will have shifted if they haven't already done so over the last 12 months, which is that, um, you know, like consider something like flexible working or working from home, which for so many companies was just such a big thing, you know, like this impossible thing that you couldn't possibly do because I don't, I mean, I don't know what they expected their employees to do, you know, it's almost like the sense of mistrust of, well, if we let people work from home, I don't know, they expect you to be like watching TV and eating chocolates or whatever. And it's just like, well, surely if there's a level of trust in your company, uh, that isn't something you kind of need to worry about. But also I feel like the last 12 months have shown exactly how people can work from home and it doesn't, you know, um, okay. It hasn't necessarily been great in terms of other things like, reported levels of lower productivity and so on but that also could be attributed to the drag of being in a hugely stressful global situation of a pandemic but it's possible you know um companies are still uh, some companies are still continuing and so on and i wonder whether that is something that people will really push for and in terms of the companies that um you gravitate towards will be the companies that understand about building that in because this really inflexible, you know, hardline way of working of, you know, oh yeah, everyone has to be in the office so I can see them and, you know, to, to, to know that they're working is such an old fashioned way of, um, working. And I, hopefully I'm optimistic that that viewpoint is, is one that will no longer really be, um, either pushed or really, um, accepted by other people maybe Mm, absolutely having a more well-rounded approach and thoughts about the way in which society functions as well because you know fine work is work and that's great and we live in a capitalist society however there's all the other aspects of it which make a society and a community run and those are not inside the workplace let's move on to your second priority which I'm very excited to talk to you about, having read um, most of your book, Stronger, which is fitness. So you took up weight training. Um, uh, how many years ago now? Ooh, I would say it was about four and a half, five years ago. So not yeah, after Rob passed. Yeah, so fitness. I would say um, any kind of movement is um a priority for me because um I just feel better when I'm able to do it and when I say fitness I don't necessarily mean you know doing a big um session in the gym I'm talking about like it could literally be a 10 minute walk it could be um 10 minutes of of stretching or or whatever it is but um but it always mostly will make me feel better for having done it. And I think that um, weight training in particular was something that, which is, it forms the backbone of Stronger and um, and why I decided to write it, which was that um, I think learning how to get physically strong was a very surprising endeavor for me because I kind of went into it with a very singular goal of, um, literally just wanting to be able to lift a bag, um, 
you know, or, or um, move stuff around my house. And it, and it stemmed from that singular goal into realizing that actually uh, there is, there's a much bigger um, benefit to it, which is other things like feeling confident within myself, like feeling. And when I say confident, I don't mean, you know, uh, just sort of in my daily life in a very general vague sense, I'm talking about like when I go into spaces, which previously I would have felt a bit intimidated to go into. And that could range from, uh, walking down the street to going into a work meeting and, and I'm the minority person there, which happens a lot. Um, and I think that that sort of confidence, but also the, the, the it's a place that I go to, let's say a gym or if I'm working at home, um, that is also a, a mental space for me. And, and it's for a number of reasons, which is um, it creates a bit of white noise. So it's just really serene. Um, but it also helps me to work through some, um, of the stuff that I might just be going, that might be going on in my head. So I'm someone who is very prone to, you know, having like a thousand different thoughts at the same time. And, uh, if let's say I'm pretty anxious for whatever reason, you know, they just kind of spiral around and some form of fitness helps to quieten that down, which I think a, a, a fair few people will say that. And in a survey that I did that I ran alongside the book to kind of just sense check what was going on, um, you know, the, but above and beyond the the sort of the main motivation for for women saying why they liked some form of exercise or fitness or whatever was because of their mental well being. So it's definitely something that um, that is a massive coping mechanism for me. It doesn't replace any of the other things that I think you know, such as therapy, um, group sessions, all of that. Kind, like you know, that has to kind of coexist alongside that but fitness makes it easier for me to channel things when things kind of feel a bit overwhelming. Um, and I also think that my idea of fitness has changed so much. Um, and, and that's probably why I prioritize it in a different way. So someone asked me the other week, um, you know, how do you make time for it or how do you fit it in or something like that? And I think definitely, you know, when I was in my twenties, the gym was something that, I would kind of tag on to the end of a day if I, if I had time. And I kind of think that that was because I maybe didn't really want to do it. Like I did it because I felt obligated to, or because I felt that, you know, I had this um, very kind of fixed idea, which is because we have this massive problem in how we view fitness in society, which is we view fitness as, um, you know, the goal of it is weight loss or weight maintenance. And and it's not, they're, they're two very separate endeavors. Um, but that's what I think I viewed it as before. I viewed it as, as this sort of, you know, semi kind of punishment in which you kind of had to go to work something off or to, to make up for something. Whereas now it is this thing that just creates so much energy and joy and positivity in my life. So everything else works around it. Um, so for example, uh, like that it's something I have to do on a weekly basis where I have to just move stuff around my training and that's okay because my training for me is one of the most important things. And that is a completely like 180 on what it was like before. 
I think for a lot of people that need to schedule things in with movement is uh, is really, really important because otherwise they don't do it. But what I'm hearing from you is more that it's a non-negotiable because it's so important to you. Yeah, like the, the way that I train. So, um, so I'm a competitive powerlifter, although I'm not doing any competitions uh, maybe until the end of the year. But there is... Um, there tends to be a goal that you have in your head of what you want to maybe achieve over the next few months or whatever. And if you don't go in to get your training done, let's say on a particular day that you've kind of scheduled it, um, you won't then be able to move up. You can't like skip, you can't skip a day. So like, let's say there are three days that you have uh, that are split into, I don't know, like do, I did squats last night, right? Let's say I just decided, nah, you know what? Don't fancy it. I'm just gonna do something else. Um, I can't then go into next week and add a bigger number on that because I have to, I have to have done yesterday's session in order to be able to build on it because that's that's the process so and and also you know the the thing to remember is that this is all for fun like this isn't you know this isn't my career I'm not a pro athlete I'm an amateur athlete so um so I'm doing this because I really want to do it and what I really want to do is I want to go into next week and I want to lift more weight than I did this week and none of that is going to be possible if I don't get my training in Um, so it sounds so simple, but it literally is as simple as that. Like I like lifting. I really like seeing my numbers go up. I love getting stronger. None of that process is going to be possible unless I, um, schedule it in. And when I say schedule it in, you know, it's not as rigid. So let's say there's a day where I just know that I'm too tired and I'm not going to be able to do it, or there's just, um, it's a very upsetting day or whatever it is. I'm not going to like force myself to do something that I don't want to do. But at the same time, having a routine helps because it gives me something that's quite solid and something that I can kind of latch onto, which doesn't always work for other people, but it definitely works for me. I hate nothing more than an afternoon lost to Googling, particularly when it's for products or methods to support my well-being. So I'm thrilled that this episode of Priorities is sponsored by Healthy Living Store, the simple online one-stop shop for quality wellness products and expert advice. Their aim is to make living healthy simple, and they take a full 360-degree approach to health, incorporating nutrition, movement, mental health, and sleep to help support even those who are normally pretty skeptical of well-being. I'm a big fan of the fatigue fix tincture, and I'm also currently eyeing up a new ergonomic home office chair as well. Healthy Living Store are kindly offering any listener £10 off their first order with £35 minimum spend. You simply need to use the code LILY10. Check them out on www.healthylivingstore.co. That's healthylivingstore.co with the code LILY10. That aspect as well of listening to your body and your mind in terms of what else is going on and reacting accordingly rather than sort of robotically insisting that you do something regardless is so important in terms of keeping the body healthy because often people train, go to the gym, whatever it is, when they're they're exhausted, when they've had the worst night's sleep or when they're, you know, emotionally very tired or something's going on and pursue movement that doesn't serve them whatsoever. So 
and end up injuring themselves. It's very often the time I see with my own work when people injure themselves. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that what is amazing about fitness at the moment is that, especially if you are someone who uses Instagram, um, is that there are different communities and different schools of thought that, um, that are so wide and varied that they will, they're there for everyone. So for example, if, you know, the type of fitness that's pushed in the mainstream doesn't work with, doesn't work for you, you just don't really like it. Um, there are so many other amazing, um, schools of thought such as, you know, intuitive fitness, uh, listening to your body and so on. And I love that there is something, there are different communities that are there to serve different needs because I don't really feel like that has always been around and, and fair enough. You, you still have to seek those out to a certain extent, but those communities are out there, but the, the injuries thing, I mean, I saw this amazing thing. Um, I can never remember the guy's name, but his Instagram handle is um, Syat Fitness. And um, he was doing this video on exactly what you've just said about, you know, exhaustion. And until he said it, I hadn't even realized um, that we have this uh, belief around fitness, which is that we think that the primary goal is to be tired, is to be exhausted, is, you know, um, to burn calories or whatever it is. And he said, that's not the goal. Like, so, you know, when you talk about people who do, I don't know, like, um, I'm sorry if this is you to anyone who's listening, but like burpee challenges or like, you know, I I need to do, get myself up to a thousand burpees or a hundred burpees or press ups or whatever it is. But the fact is, is that, why are you doing that to, to say that you can do that? And it doesn't necessarily transfer into other things like, um, you know, he was saying that the goals really of fitness are, uh, are, are not those they're to get stronger. They're to have more athleticism, they're to be healthier, to do more, whatever. And when you have people who are doing exercises, um, where the goal is to get, you know, more and more exhausted and tired who are doing it when they're exhausted and tired and aren't fueled or fed very well, that's when you make mistakes and that's when your technique suffers. And if you're doing anything in fitness without proper technique, um, you're setting yourself up for an injury. And I don't know that, I think my concern about people who have, while it's amazing that people have been accessing fitness and, you know, pivoting to home workouts and that's such a wonderful thing, I do think it's probably important to recognize that there is a there is a sort of um, a horizon when it comes to injuries and preventing them and understanding things around technique and making sure that you're not working out when you're just so tired you can't even think because if you can't think you're not going to be focusing on your technique you know mm. in your book stronger which essentially charts your weightlifting journey Um, as well as your fitness journey before, talks about your experiences at school, which I think will be very common for a lot of people when they read the book in terms of um, only doing, well, at least in the UK, only doing PE if you were good at it, you know, never being encouraged to try things outside of whatever felt like your comfort zone, as well as looking, the book also looks at the general wider conversations around fitness like the one we just discussed around strength how um 
I'd love you to share or I'd love to ask you a little bit more about some of the reactions that you got when you started weightlifting or when you sort of took that next step with weightlifting because I know you you were doing it for a little while and then you sort of found a new trainer and started competing what were some of the reactions that you had uh some of the reactions were well okay in generally people don't understand what powerlifting is anyway and powerlifting is um effectively a competitive sport where you lift the heaviest that you can possibly manage in three different lifts which are squats um deadlifts and bench press and um and I just, I love it. But when I try and sort of explain it to people, I can, their eyes just sort of missed over, which I, which I understand it's a niche sport. Right. But, um, when I first transitioned into powerlifting and moved away from kind of, I guess, general weight training in the gym, um, there were definitely some concerns like, and I, and I forget this now because it's, it's sort of enough time has passed, but the concerns around me injuring myself, um, and I guess it's because when you look at someone doing bigger weights, you don't really understand how they can do that without hurting themselves. And very often I would get, uh, loads of, uh, things about, you know, um, injuring your back or whatever. And very often it will be from people who have injured themselves, um, previously, uh, or who just can't contemplate that you can, you know, possibly do this. And that was quite difficult because when you are weight training with heavy weights, there is a psychology that goes along with it as well. So, you know, it's not, you're not just doing physical work. You are absolutely doing a a lot of mental work there. And when you have got a weight on your back and you're squatting, there is already uh, your inner voice, which is like, ah, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. Oh my God. Oh my God. I hope it's going to be okay. And the last thing you kind of then need is, um, all of these other people sort of who don't do your sport weighing in on what you're doing and and making you really panicked about it. And there definitely at the beginning was that, um, was that concern. And, and there was a part of me that just thought, Oh my God, but yeah, what if I do injure myself and so on. But what I was very lucky to have around that process was um was my coach so um uh, who has become a, a really close friend of mine but mike i would talk to my coach about all of these things and the thing is is that when you were training or when you're incrementally training like that and adding weight you're you know you have a general sense of how much weight you can you can handle on that barbell right and all of these stories from um you know the the sort of the i've injured my back blah 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 to um you know these these horrible videos that exist on youtube of of injuries and so on um there's usually a story behind some of that so when i asked when i kind of probed and i asked some of the people who were telling me about their back injuries i just said look have you ever been shown how to do it by a trainer or was this like something that you either taught yourself or you learned how to do from other like people in the gym and it was always that like it was never someone who had actually been trained properly who was then cautioning me about um you know, uh, what was happening and just other things like, you know, um, uh, like sort of, I, I call it kind of bro science because it's just, it's not actually science. It's just kind of based on stuff that 
kind of filters around in in the consciousness but like someone saying um oh you know i always worry about when when people use belts right so like in powerlifting we use um we use a belt that helps us to brace and to hold our breath properly to to maintain the right amount of tightness which is to prevent injury and and this person said oh i'm really worried about you, you know people using belts because i think they rely on it um, and that's how you have back injuries. And I just said, that's not what a belt does. Like, do you know what? So there is so much of this stuff like swilling around, you know, there's other things around. Um, I think people just don't really know how to deal with women necessarily making the decision to just lift really heavy weights. So there definitely were comments around that. I, and I don't think they weren't done in, you know, a, a terrible way. It was from the people that I knew anyway, it was done from a, we're concerned lovingly and we hope that you're okay or whatever. But that's why it was really important to have a whole community of people who were just like, this is fine. You're doing fine. Don't worry about it. It's, it's okay. Just keep going. It also sounds like very much a space in which it's about health, whether that's physical or mental, emotional, rather than like wellness or fitness um, and any of those slightly more dubious areas instagram influenced areas uh sorry how do you mean in terms of this the way in which the idea of fitness and wellness and health have been sort of merged Mm. in a way that isn't real and that the idea of health of working you know with your body with your mind in very simple ways often and that has nothing to do with how things look is very different from the fitness industry or the wellness industry which is a whole other yeah yeah absolutely I mean I guess that there are the thing is I think there are there are definitely like concepts that get thrown around that don't necessarily have um any basis in science you know and um but they get sort of shared and it, it just becomes part of the the culture and the ethos. And, and actually, uh, when you then kind of actually unravel it and you learn a bit more about what actually goes on, I mean, I'm, I'm constantly trying to learn more about it and I'm constantly horrified by the stuff that is out there and and, and the things that people believe that I believed a hundred percent, you know, I, I include myself in this. I just believed and didn't really question and just thought, Oh, it's come from like another fitness person. So it must be true. But mm-hmm. without them being able to actually explain the science behind it, me just accepting it for, for what it was. Yeah. It's like Chinese whispers, essentially. Uh, I definitely picked up that at some point in the book, you talk about PTs and some PTs are absolutely fantastic and some fitness professionals are are incredible at what they do and I'd never take away from that but some who are giving out nutritional advice without any basis or knowledge whatsoever of of nutrition or science behind it I thought that was really interesting hence wasn't something I quite thought about before um, but definitely experienced a lot yeah it's um it was brought to my attention actually before I started writing the book um because I got a few dms from people 
about like asking me a question about it and um, because I run um, another platform on Instagram called See My Strong which is a fitness diversity platform and one one lady in particular and I was just horrified by this you know um, was asking me some questions Uh, I don't think she even realized what she was kind of telling me but she was asking me some questions about uh, training and so on. And then I kind of asked her a few more questions to just get a bit more of her story. And yeah, she has, um, you know, which she has a history of um, uh, with an eating disorder and her trainer had put her on this really restrictive program of training as well as nutrition. And this is what I mean. I had to ask her a few more questions because I just said, well, uh, you know, number one, what is this person's qualifications, whatever. Cause the thing is you can do, you can do courses in nutrition, um, and you, and, and then, you know, say that, you know, about nutrition, but like, there's a very big distinction between doing, you know, a weekend course in nutrition and being a registered nutritionist, like the, they're two completely different, um, disciplines. And that is a very gray area for me in terms of, and I see, I see it on Instagram all the time, you know, the way that, um, that some trainers talk about, uh, restrictive eating and so on. And I just think that that is such a dangerous game to play if you don't know your client's history. And because I asked this lady, I said, look, can I just ask you a question? Your trainer just sounds like an absolute nightmare. Like, why are you still with them? And she said, oh, because, you know, I, it, um, it's a female PT and I just thought a female PT would get it more. And I was like, well, what does it, what's it, what, what are they like? It, gender doesn't really come into any of that. There are some things that absolutely, you know, depending on what you're going for. So let's say, uh, you're going through the menopause, you might want a female PT who has been through it, who understands how to train you. But, um, really with a PT, you're looking for someone who, um, who can get to get you to where you want to go in terms of your goals, but also doesn't necessarily offer up unsolicited opinions and advice about food when they have no idea what your relationship with that is. That for me is a massive warning sign actually. Um, because it's a different, maybe it's a different thing if like you seek it out or you ask them. Um, but if someone is just like, throwing restrictive eating at you and they don't know whether or not you have a problem with food um that is negligent in my opinion Mm, I couldn't agree with you more how does it feel having moved into this space and become a bit of a voice and authority on it in terms of your work Oh, I would not say I'm an authority. (laughs) Uh, I'm not an authority at all. Uh, It's just that this is something that I felt, um, you know, wielding sort of statistics and talking to people was just like, well, this is something that I felt I could kind of curate and pull together. And the, the, definitely the, the style that I operate with is very much, um, you know, kind of like going back to my journalist roots of um, you're putting something out there so people can have a conversation and make their own minds up about it. So you're basically trying to present facts, yes, within framed within aspects of your own opinion, but ultimately, you know, even with the book, it's not something of like, this is what you must do uh, and then you'll become strong. Rawr. It's more like this is the stuff that might be helpful for you to unlearn that we've all sort of 
Hmm. ingested or believed or whatnot and once you unlearn it then you can just look at what's around you and figure out what it is that you actually want and and what you gravitate towards and so on and asking yourself questions like what makes you what makes you feel good when you move rather than what's the thing that's going to burn the most amount of calories or you know um I think that that is definitely something that I take a lot of um joy in being able to do Mm. and on that subject as well which is something you do you do um talk about a little bit in the book as well is I guess detaching a reliance on that ability to be very physical as well because injuries do happen or illnesses happen or for many people they you know from the start don't have the kind of um accessibility physical accessibility that that many able-bodied people do and I always find it quite um insensitive or um the apple stick was insensitive I can't think of another word insensitive when people push 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 exercise as sort of the only cure for for mental health or for as as a as a cure-all for things when there's so many other ways in which we can access and help ourselves and support ourselves that don't necessarily have to rely on that at all times because, you know, things change. Yeah, Uh, and they'll change many times over the course of a lifetime and being able to bend and move um, mentally around that kind of stuff is, uh, is a really, really important thing, which is why having things like... Um, intuitive movement, intuitive fitness in your um, in your mental toolbox is something that's really important because there may be times where, I mean, okay, let's say, for example, I train in quite a structured way at the moment, um, but there may be times when I can't physically do that. And, and you know, for, for pretty much the majority of last year, I couldn't do that. So I was ill with long COVID for about 10 months. Um, and that was a real um relearning of looking at other aspects of of what makes you feel strong and okay within yourself and understanding that actually there are times when you may not feel strong at all and that is that doesn't mean that you know you're um you're not trying hard enough it's just that sometimes life gives you a heavier load to deal with and it's okay to sort of hibernate and to press pause and to just take a break and take a moment from it and definitely you know it's something that um that I felt was really important to cover in the book in terms of um whether we're talking about um, people from the disability community who have whose disabilities are either visible or they're hidden, talking about things like you know accessibility to gyms, talking about expectations um, of um, of of what that might be of them, and and so on. And I think that you know for me it's a really big thing. If we can accomplish this, would be amazing. Which is this kind of language that we have in the fitness industry, you know, like um, people love using it on Instagram, like no excuses, blah, blah, blah. Or like, we'll do like a post of their, um, you know, their fitness routine or they've gone for, uh, I don't know, walk or run or whatever it is. 
And the language that we use is so important in terms of not shaming ourselves or calling ourselves lazy or whatever it is, like being able to reframe it as I'm really glad I got to do this today. Like I'm really grateful that I got to do this today. Wasn't that amazing? Rather than just berating yourself, you know, for, for what you can't do and so on, because there are other people who we don't all, we're not in the same stream. We don't all operate at the same level and, um, and sort of just, you know, widening our perception of what fitness is like understanding that it comes in so many different kinds of abilities, different adaptations, um, different body sizes and so on. That's really, really important because, um, I feel that the more inclusive we can make all of this stuff in, you know, uh, and and we are, allow ourselves to interpret it in the way that we want to, you then have um, you then have a life uh, around, let's say, physical activity or fitness in a way that actually reflects you, rather than making you feel that you you're you know all of these negative things if you aren't able to do what everyone else is doing like why would you want to do what everyone else is doing anyway you know they're not the same as you they don't have the same abilities as you um what makes them feel happy in one thing might not make you feel happy in another thing so constantly i think redressing that and finding out what that thing is that makes you feel joyous and also just not putting up with something that that doesn't make you feel like that like putting up with things that make us unhappy seems to just be something that I don't think we question enough when it comes to fitness and the the type of places that we train in. And I think just having a bit more awareness around that and just going, actually, why am I putting up with that? Why am I going to this place that makes me feel like absolute crap every time I go in there? Um, That's one of the things I hope changes. Mm, Absolutely. You have it a lot within the yoga world as well. I don't teach that much yoga anymore at the moment I teach more meditation teach yoga on retreats but there's so much of that dialogue around this is what yoga looks like or this is what a yoga body looks like or this is how it's done Mm. all of my a lot of my work was with amputees or children with special needs where what they're doing and the way in which they're moving couldn't be further from what someone would think yoga looks like And their movement can often be imperceptible as well, even to the naked eye. And yet the connection that they're forming, as you talked about, that um, sort of self-development in terms of of movement was so profound. So, yeah, trying to move it all away, a little bit more away from uh, what things look like and more towards how things feel to each person. Okay, what's something that's not important to you? What could you not care less about? <laughs> uh, I don't know why I had, I know I answered this question, but, and I don't know where my brain was when I answered it, but I think it was influencing for money. Yeah. Is how I answered this. Um, and it's not to cast shade on people who influence for money because I think it's, you know, for some people it's a business, it's really important, but it's just, it will never be the purpose of why I post things on Instagram. Also because, um, you know, I just, I like to be able to post whatever it is that I want to post. And I don't want to feel like I can't not do something because, um, it might, you know, uh, be detrimental. I'm just going to clarify for people like my mother who will be listening to this, hopefully who (laughs) won't necessarily know what influencing for money means. Mm. (laughs) Oh Yeah. (laughs) 
influencing for money in terms of social media would be when you do a sponsored post so someone pays you in mm. order to uh, promote a product via your Instagram or your socials or whatever it is or yeah. sort of working towards that point so that you can try and get people try and make money from it would you agree with that description yeah I mean I do because I think very occasionally I think this is like literally like maybe once every two months uh or not even once a month yeah once every two months I, I might run an ad or a sponsored content piece on there but um it's never it's never the goal of of why I post on there um and I feel like if it became the goal I um I don't know. That's a space that I just don't think my my brain really wants to go down. It's a terrifying space. Mm. Um, the goal is the value of your work, essentially, and then well, also yeah, because it's my career is my career, and um, social media is on top of that. <laughs> and finally, Puna, what's an area that you'd like to improve on? What's something you'd like to prioritize more? Um, an area that I would like to improve on, I think is, um, being able to dream a bit bigger, being able to think a bit bigger than I currently do. And what I mean by that is I feel like I'm on the cusp of things changing, um, in a good way for me career wise, but there's that imposter syndrome part of me, which so many of us have, which is going, no, just keep things really small and tiny and safe here. Let's stay in the small pond. And so it's about stepping into that, that margin of discomfort and just going, actually, I think there's some really cool stuff we can do. And why would you not be worthy of doing it? Um, and I think it's because I look at let's say certain, I'm not an entrepreneur, but I look at, you know, especially young female entrepreneurs and they're so confident, man. And I'm like, and they're like CEOs of their own company, you know? And I just think at some point they had to make that step change into stepping into that role. Otherwise their companies wouldn't be the success that they are today. And I think that while I could ask them how they did it, I think sometimes you just have to do it. I think you just have to step into it and there'll be um, this really prickly, uncomfortable period where you're just thinking, I don't really know what I'm doing. But I think if you can ride it out, then that just takes you to the place that you need to go to. And I don't think that without that baptism of fire, you can necessarily make that change. Mm. So that's going to be a focus for me. So two things on that. First of all, I guess, is like the complete willingness to fail, right? And be rejected, which as a freelance journalist, you're quite familiar with anyway. So you'll be fine. <laughs> but, Sad, but true. <laughs> um, but also, you're at, you said this to me in advance, this um, answer. And it really, really surprised me because I've read all three of your books now, or almost all three of them, and pretty familiar with your work. And it seems to me like you've taken huge risks and pushed yourself <laughs> completely out of your comfort zone on a very, very, very regular basis. So it's not like you sort of did it once and then you've been hanging out in this safe space ever since. I would say that it's something you seem to do all the time. You um, quit your job and walked away from, you know, one of the most successful positions you could have in journalism in the UK, walked away from that to do, to go traveling and, to reconnect with things and then 
with the powerlifting. And yeah, so <laughs> by all means, Thanks. keep going, keep going on your, yeah. putting yourself in these uncomfortable, maybe slightly um, unknown places. But I think you're pretty good at it. Thank you. I will I will replay this recording whenever I'm feeling a bit wobbly about it. <laughs> Great. So um stronger is is out now. And uh, I encourage everyone to pick up a book. Go and have a read, go to your local bookshop and grab a copy because it really is a a fantastic read. Thank you. And it'll inspire people not just to pick up a book but also to pick up something else a bit heavier. <laughs> all right Puna, thank you very much for speaking to me and sharing insights. thank you for having me i honestly it's been a real pleasure oh, take care if you enjoyed this episode of priorities i'd really appreciate it if you could make it your priority today to hit subscribe and also rate and review as this helps other people find it need a little incentive Every month, I offer one free six-month membership to my online studio, Mindful Moment. All you have to do is hit subscribe, rate, review the podcast, and then email a screenshot of your review to podcast at lilysilverton.com for a chance to win. Thank you so much for listening. Take care.